Grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here today at LaGrange Church of Christ. And if uh, you have a Bible, you might be opening it to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be reading a a portion of Scripture beginning in verse 28. Um, I was glad that that Bobby filled in for me last week. We took a, a trip over spring break, went up to Kentucky and saw the ark. And I know many of you have asked about that. This Wednesday night, I'll share some pictures and tell just a little bit about that before we get into our Bible class. And so if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to come back on, on Wednesday night. And so we've just concluded a series where we were looking at Christian conversation. What we want to do for about the next month or so is look at some stories from the life of Christ as we kind of journey towards the cross and the resurrection. And so one of the most important stories that that we find within the life of Christ is uh, recorded for us in Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 28, and is the story of the transfiguration. And so I want us to to listen to this before we begin to contemplate what's going on here and, and say a few things about it. So Luke 9, beginning verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John, And James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher! I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless And twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now, the the text this morning is an interesting one. It's known as the transfiguration. And this is a word that we probably don't use outside of talking about this one account in the Gospels. And what it means is to change form or to change appearance. 
In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, the word transfiguration does not appear. Although many Bibles will will label the section of Scripture as the transfiguration, they'll give it that heading there. Instead, Luke describes what happened to Jesus on the mountain in this way. And as he was praying, the, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And so Luke is actually pretty helpful here. Instead of saying transfigured, he just describes for us what's going on. What is being seen by the people present there. And so on this mountain, Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus in his full glory. They were in the presence of God. And this scene is difficult for us to wrap our minds around since you know, we've never seen anything like this. And so we have to, to use our imagination, and our imagination falls extremely short of what actually took place. Language and imagination cannot do this scene justice. To be in the presence of God is to be changed. Peter, James, and John witnessed the full glory of Christ. But even to witness just, just, just part of the glory of God changes us. Notice what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all, that is all Christians with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul says we are to behold the glory of the Lord, and as we do this, we are transformed. As we glimpse the glory of the Lord in our finite and our very limited ways, we are transformed into the image of Christ. We have not seen the transfigured Christ. We have never witnessed such a glorious sight. But as we witness God in other ways, we are changed. And so we may encounter the glory of the Lord um, in another human being. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25, that when you feed the hungry, you encounter him. When you um, visit the prisoners, you encounter him. When you do these good things, you encounter Christ. We may encounter the glory of the Lord and the beauty of creation. Paul talks about this at the beginning of Romans, that we can know the things of God by looking at the things that God has made. Or we may encounter uh, the glory of the Lord in meditating on his word and in prayer. And these glimpses of deity, they they impact us in such a way that we become a different person. We become a better person. We become a person like Jesus. Now, what is intriguing about this story in Luke is what happens right after it. And that's why I read the full account, not just part of it. And so Peter, James, and John, they, they go up on the mountain with Jesus, and they see him in a different state, in an altered state. He is transfigured. He is glorified. He's glowing. He's white. And they also see him talking to Moses and Elijah. And so these are two giants of the faith. These are two men who had died long ago. But these faithful prophets are living. They're talking with Jesus. 
And Peter is so moved by this scene that he wants to build three tents, or, or you might say three tabernacles. It can be translated either way in honor of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And so he, he recognizes that something special is going on here. This is a special moment. And after this amazing mountaintop moment, Peter, James, and John, they come down off the mountain. And Luke makes a point to tell us this. In verse 28, the Bible says they went up on the mountain. And in verse 37, it says they had come down from the mountain. And so this is significant. We should pay attention to it. On the mountain is where they encounter the glory of God. It's where they uh, go to pray. It's where they go to worship. That's what's going on in the mountain. Prayer and worship. Encountering God. Encountering His presence. When they come down from the mountain, they go back to work. They are continuing in their daily activities. They're back on the mission that they were called to. And so when Peter, James, and John come off the mountain, they meet this man who has a son. It's his only son. So he's grieved about this. And the son is possessed. And this man asked the disciples to heal his son. But the disciples cannot do it. Now, it's not because they don't have the ability. They have healed others before. In fact, look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. The very first verse in this chapter, it says, And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve together, and he gave them power. He gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases. They've been given the power to heal. They have been given authority over demons. It's not because they can't do it. You know, they don't, they don't have the power. Jesus already given them the power. Something's wrong here. Well, the man then appeals to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal his son. And this is when Jesus says this, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you Bring your son here. This is an intriguing statement by Jesus. It's not how he typically talks. And so we should ask, why does he say this? And and probably more importantly, who is he speaking to here? Well, you really have two choices. Either he's speaking to the man and his son, or he's speaking to the disciples. One or the other. Now, whoever he is speaking to is lacking in faith. He says they're faithless. Well, there's nothing suggesting that the man and his son are lacking in faith. Nothing in the text there. The disciples, on the other hand, they are unable to heal. They previously could heal, now they can't. Um... And so it only makes sense that Jesus is talking to his disciples. Well, the disciples who were on the mountain with Jesus, who saw him transfigured, who witnessed his glory, they come down from the mountain and they're lacking in faith to the point that they cannot heal a boy with an unclean spirit. 
Now, in many ways, this story is foreign to us. You know, we've never seen anyone transfigured. We don't know what that looks like. We don't have the ability to cast out demons. The demonic, although very real, um, it's strange to many of us. We're not used to just strolling down the sidewalk and encountering someone who's demon-possessed. We may read this section of Scripture and feel very little connection to it. We may ask something like, well, what does this have to do with me? Or how does this apply to my life? And those are really good questions to ask. And although it might not be apparent at first, I, I believe this text, text does have much to teach us. And so the question that these two accounts or one account raise is this. What is of utmost importance? We might put it a different way. We might say, what is real? Or you could say, um, What is the meaning of life? You know, sometimes we may spend time with the family on Saturday or or, or do something interesting, work on a hobby or whatever you did yesterday. You might come to worship on Sunday, do something in the afternoon, and then it gets evening time and you say, well, you know, it's time to go back to the real world tomorrow. And we probably never think about what it is we're saying. You know, it's something we've heard before. It sounded good. We repeat it. But essentially what we're saying is that Monday through Friday is the real world. It's the world that matters. It's the world that we're living for. And what we do here on Sundays, you know, it's it's not real. It doesn't matter that much. It's okay to miss Sunday, or it's, it's okay to not be engaged in worship, but we better show up for work. We better pay attention at work. Well, the reason why the disciples lacked faith, and the reason why they were unable to heal that boy, is because something went wrong on the mountain. We know at one point they fell asleep. Luke tells us that. It could have been that. Or it could have been that they weren't fully present in the moment that Jesus was revealed in glory. They were there in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ. You know, at one point they're sleeping through it. And they at least failed to recognize the significance of who they were with. That they failed to carry the importance of that moment with them the next day and the day after that and the day after that. The disciples were in the presence of God, but for some reason they were not present. They didn't allow that moment to transform them, and they did not walk away changed from encountering a holy God. And because of this, life did not go as expected once they came down off the mountain. What is real? This is a question that we must all ask ourselves. 
And if you're not sure, you might ask yourself, well, what are you living for? What is important to you? You know, are you, are you living for a paycheck? Is that it? Are, are you living for that next vacation? Are you living for that new car that you want to buy? When, when you hear that phrase, real life, you know, what comes to mind to you? And the reason why life might not be going the way that we want it to is because we're approaching it from the wrong perspective. We might be thinking that what we do on Monday through Friday is what really matters. When in fact, what we do on Sunday is what should be guiding our life. And if we want to live life well, then we must show up on Sunday. I don't mean just show up physically, just be a warm body in the pew. We're to show up mentally. We're, we must be engaged with what's going on here in worship. We must be present to God who is present here this morning. The disciples were physically present on the mountain. Their bodies were there. But they were asleep. They were misguided. And because of this, they faltered the next day. You know, I think sometimes we don't truly understand what it is that is happening in worship. Because in worship, in the assembly, we're in the, present, we're in the presence of God. And, and I think sometimes we just act as if He's not even here. And we're not engaged. And we're not giving God our, our full attention. What happens here on Sunday morning is more real than anything else that will happen this week. This is life. And I want you to, to listen to, to how the author of Hebrews describes the worship assembly on Sunday morning. Just think about how you would describe this moment. And now I want you to listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this moment. He says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, as we gather here on the first day of the week, we are in the presence of God. We're in the presence of angels. We commune around this table with Jesus. And when we fail to recognize this, worship is not what it ought to be. If we come to worship and we don't recognize that we are surrounded by the glory of God, then we're just like the disciples who are asleep on the mountain. Asleep as Jesus speaks with Moses and Elijah. Worship is supposed to be life-changing. 
Not because it's entertaining or not because it's motivating. It is life-changing because we are in God's presence. And we come to behold His glory and we come to share a meal with Him. And we come to praise and honor Him. And when we make God the center of worship, and we focus on God and not ourselves, it's then that we go back out into the world a different person. We go out into the world faithful, not faithless. So this morning I want you to know that you have come to Mount Zion. That you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That you are assembled here this morning with innumerable angels. You're assembled here with all the saints who have gone on before you. The assembly of the firstborn, the righteous made perfect, as the author of Hebrews says. You're in the presence of God. You're in the presence of Jesus. You're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we focus on this, we are being transformed into the image of Christ so that we might go out into the world and do the work that God has called us to. What we experience here is the real world. It is a foretaste of the world to come, and it is a glimpse of what is everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we, we repent if we have ever taken this moment lightly. We repent if we've ever come here and been misguided or distracted. Father, we recognize that you alone are worthy of worship and that you are at the center of what we do here this morning, on this day, and that you are holy. And we, we want to focus all our attention on you. We want to behold your glory so that we will leave, leave here a changed people so that we will be transformed into the image of your Son and that we might look more like Him and that we might go out into this world a faithful people who resemble your Son and who act like your Son and who live like your Son and who lead others to Christ. We're so thankful for everything that He did for us, especially the sacrifice on the cross. Pray this in His name. Amen.